0: Blog Talk Radio Welcome back, welcome back, welcome
1: back You are listening to Countdown to Kickoff I am your host, Anthony Denmark Denmark likes the country, a.k.a. Copenhagen, a.k.a. Denny And this episode is brought to you by eat, drink, sleep, Sports.com. And since sports never stop, since sports never sleep, that means we always have something to talk about. And since Mason's back, heck, I'm back, you're back, let's go ahead and discuss the latest happenings in the world of college sports. Let's get it. And good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good day. Welcome back, college football fans. Week one was truly a week to remember. We had alarming upsets. We had exciting games. We had everything that we expected, and we got even more. And the great thing about it is, guess what? From here until January, every week will be full of excitement, upsets, anticipation, and also, of course, the unexpected. And I don't know about you guys, but I am definitely excited. Welcome back, Nick Chubb, who, of course, returned from debilitating injury to uh, record 220 yards rushing against UNC. But we should have expected that since UNC definitely proved in the bowl game that they couldn't stop the run. Uh, Welcome back, Taysom Hill, who also returned from debilitating injury himself and leading leading BYU over Arizona, recording 201 yards passing, 37 yards rushing. Welcome back. Texas, who it seems after such a long hiatus from the top 25, finds itself now just in the top 25, but also finds itself ranked number 11 in the country. Boy, after week one, expectations change oh so quickly teams who find themselves that were initially considered afterthoughts now have expectations. Welcome back, Wisconsin, who started the season unranked. Yeah, they did have the number one ranked scoring defense in the country last season, and maybe it wasn't just because of their coach. Maybe it was also because of the players. And, of course, they find themselves also going from unranked to now in the top ten. This is all what took place in this week one season. Now, of course, I would be remiss if I did not say welcome back, Houston, but we already knew Houston was going to be a talented team. Uh, but nevertheless, I am one who can honestly say that I did not expect them to beat Oklahoma. So you know what? Welcome back to now being considered an elite program. who will find itself being the talk out of town week after week because they are favorite in every game that they have this upcoming season, at least until they face off against in my own opinion right now, the Heisman front runner, and uh, Lamar Jackson, who, of course, in week one recorded eight touchdowns, six touchdowns passing, and two touchdowns rushing. But, you know, that was against Charlotte. So we're going to see what he does against Clemson, who did not look too good against uh, Auburn. We'll see what he does against Florida State, who, of course, looked amazing, unanswered points against Ole Miss, in the Labor Day Classic, where we got a chance to meet another freshman, and uh, DeAndre Francois, who, of course, brought back memories of Jameis Winston when he passed for 419 yards and also definitely did a lot of damage on the uh, rushing the ball as well. So welcome back, college football fans. Expectations now are high for different programs expectations for other programs have definitely changed. But one thing is definitely interesting, this week, or at least week one, it revealed a lot of troubling revelations. The SEC, which at one point was considered to be the most dominant conference in college football, at one point in time in the past we even talked about how the dominant teams from the SEC may actually be able to contend or at least win some games in the NFL. Well after their week one performance that joke is downright laughable, downright atrocious, as the SEC week one ranked well not ranked, but finished week one with a seven and seven record, which comes down to be the fifth worst amongst the power five. As Big Ten of course had a twelve and two finish. A C C had an eleven and three finish. The Big Twelve had a seven and two seven and three finish and the Pac twelve had a Seven and five minutes, So, boy, what does that mean? Well, you know, in hindsight, it really does not mean a lot because we have to also realize and accept that in week one, a lot of things change, and the expectation is that, you know, these things are likely going to change from week to week. But nevertheless, we can be excited about it, right? I mean, but honestly, when you looked at the SEC, people thought that, Wisconsin was going to win. Not many people thought that LSU would really have to do much in order to beat Wisconsin. Nevertheless, that is what took place. Also, if that wasn't bad enough, Ole Miss, of course, dropped against Florida State, but we expected Florida State to win that game. Although it was kind of funny to hear us talk about Chad Kelly. I don't know if you guys recall, but The nickname that I gave Chad Kelly was I called him 50-50. He's going to win you some games. He's going to lose you some games. But either way, he's going to be 50-50 every time he throws the ball. And we saw that in the matchup against Florida State. Touchdown passes, yes, he had three touchdown passes in the first half. But come on, y'all. One of those touchdown passes definitely should have been an interception. And as we, of course, saw, if he does good in the first half, and can almost guarantee that he's going to struggle in the second half. And, of course, it's definitely what took place uh, in the second half against uh, Florida State. But, you know, like I said before, it's only week one. So things are going to change, and the expectation is, is that teams are only going to get better. Heck, in some instances, you definitely cannot get worse. But before we proceed with the show, I definitely think a, a nice warm congratulations I should go to two programs who oftentimes found themselves to bother jokes. I mean, heck, down in Orlando last season, they were giving out free drinks until UCF actually won a game. Well, UCF finally won a game. And in that win, we got a chance to see a preview of the Scott Frost offense. They call it the blur. They put up 466 yards of total offense, which is amazing. And also, kudos definitely should go to Kansas. Now, of course, Coach Will Beatty down there is definitely uh, taking on a tough challenge in trying to uh, build a program that, when you really think about it, man, Mike Mangini did a wonderful job there. And it's hard to win in Kansas, especially when basketball is everybody's first focus. Nevertheless, you know, Will Beatty did one good thing, and that's win a game. So they won a game, the crowd rushed the field the announcer says you guys should may not be embarrassing the program because it's not like they won against a team that, of course, had actually had a winning record. They actually, I guess you could say they lost to a team that was the FCS version of them in Rhode Island. Nevertheless, 1-0 is 1-0. 0-1 is 0-1. So kudos to UCF. Definitely kudos, of course, to Kansas. But now we turn four days from here to week two where everybody now gets a clean slate. They get an opportunity to prove themselves. They get an opportunity either one to try to build on a successful uh, week one, two, they get an opportunity to tear everything down and attempt to try to uh, refocus the program, refocus the players, and realize that guess what? One loss does not mean that you're not bowl eligible. So with one loss, you can still contend for bowl eligibility. With one loss, you could still contend for a conference championship. Hell, with one loss, you could still possibly even contend for a national championship. So, with everybody else calling for the job of Les Miles, for everybody thinking that Tennessee may not be back after their pitiful performance against App State, one loss is one loss, and one win is one win. And nothing much has changed besides hey, you are the one game closer to gaining eligibility. Or you have to work that much harder in order to try to uh, right the ship. Uh, but again, as I say in life, as I say in sports, you're definitely going to see what's happening. And of course, you're definitely, I mean, definitely going to see. So oh, I made some picks, and some picks were right, some picks were wrong. But you know, when I'm right, I'm right. And when I'm wrong, I should have been right. Well, let's just. Explain it better. I think Terrence Howard does a better job. When I'm right, I'm right. When I'm wrong, I could have been right. So I am still right because I could have been wrong, you know. And I'm sorry because I could be wrong right now. I could be wrong right now. But I'm right. So what was I right about? Let's see here. I was right about Alabama beating USC. When I described USC, I equivocated them to a starting five of a football team had talented five players, but outside of that, the depth and things of that nature were going to be their downfall. Now, of course, I did not expect the game to get as ugly as it did, but nevertheless, I was right. What else was I right about? Let's see here. I think that was about it. (laughs) Because I did not expect Houston to beat Oklahoma. Even though I had exposed my concerns and identified the fact that I had questions about Oklahoma's defense, and despite all those blaring obvious concerns, I still picked Oklahoma. I thought after so many years of Oklahoma disappointing when expectations were highest so that they finally had got things right. I thought that you got Lincoln Riley, you got Samaja P. Ryan, you got Baker Mayfield. But then I for some reason I forgot there were no defensive players to me. And I was wrong, but Even though I was wrong, I should have been right, because I said that Oklahoma had a bad defense, and I knew that Houston had a good defense, so I should have been right even though I said I was wrong. Nevertheless, you know, I was right about Florida State. I expected Florida State to win. Uh, But one game that I was definitely wrong about, I was definitely wrong about UNC. I was definitely drinking a Kool-Aid about Mitch Trubisky. Mitch Trubisky definitely did have the look of a good quarterback, Everybody talked about how he was equivalent to the guys who win the Underwear Olympics. But I should have realized that if, in fact, you are a long-time backup and the guy that's starting in front of you is not even equivalent to an NFL quarterback, maybe I should have realized that Mitch Trubisky, yes, he passes the look test, but eh, he, he failed to pass the test when it came time to game time decisions. And I was definitely wrong about Kirby Smart and UGA. Throughout the summer, when I've had my uh, preview guys come on to pre- preview their teams, I was not convinced about George. I was not. They did a remarkable job. And, I mean, I knew that Nick Chubb was a beast, but Jesus Christ, 220 yards after returning from a torn HDL injury? Jesus, Amazing. And then, you know, I thought that maybe that Grayson Lambert was going to give them the best chance to win because he had that so-called thing called experience. But you know what? Your boy Denmark was also wrong about that because my man, Eason, although he definitely um, did not have a wow performance, he definitely, you know, did somewhat respectable, definitely did enough. But uh, nevertheless, you know, that's where I wrap up my, when I'm right, I'm right. When I'm wrong, I should have been right because I was right about being wrong, but whatever. But uh, anyhow, what are we going to talk about on this upcoming episode? Well, we're going to be uh, previewing week two's matchups. Uh, we have a lot of wonderful stories that, uh, of course, makes the season special. And that's one thing I'm always excited about, when we have stories in addition to good games. Uh, on week one, we had a great opportunity to see James Conner, uh, Pittsburgh running back, former ACC Player of the Year, return not just from a torn ACL, but also return from cancer treatment. And I mean, a lot of times in life, we have our we have our tendency to complain about the minor things, the minor inconveniences in our lives. And it's always inspiring to see young men overcome so many obstacles. And we're not even just talking about some people aren't even able to overcome those one obstacle. But, I mean, it's just truly remarkable to see uh, what James Conner did uh, in his matchup against Villanova. I mean, my man came back, scored two touchdowns. And, I mean, you can tell he's definitely the heart and soul of the team. And, you know, one of the things that's interesting about Pittsburgh is Pittsburgh started the season – with 15 votes to get into the top 25. But after winning, the amount of votes to possibly get into the top 25 was reduced all the way down to five. But, you know, they do have a matchup. In my opinion, I think the biggest matchup is up that highlights the Week 2 season uh, against in-state rival Penn State. They haven't played in 16 years. And in order to get questions about what we should expect in that matchup and also get an assessment of uh, how Pittsburgh did against Villanova, let's go ahead and get Jim Hassett on the line. He covers the uh, Pittsburgh Panthers for com to find out what's happening and what's up in Pittsburgh Nation. Welcome to the show.
0: Hey, how you doing?
1: I'm doing good. Now, of course, you know uh, – I started the show. I started the show off talking about expectations, and uh, the Pittsburgh Panthers started the season um, with 15 votes to get into the top 25. Uh, but after their performance against Villanova, they only got five votes to possibly get into the top 25. Uh, what were your impressions first of that matchup against uh, Villanova? They, of course, won 28 to seven.
0: Yeah, I thought the Pitt offense was a little stagnant. It was their first game under new offensive coordinator Matt Canada, and it just kind of looked like uh, the team was still adjusting to the new offensive coordinator, the new system. And they kind of they were they were a little slow on offense. The running game didn't quite get going. Uh, James Conner had a couple touchdowns, but he he never really had a big run. He never broke out for anything. You know, Villanova kind of stacked the box and. It was just kind of a, a you know a lazy afternoon against the FCS team. They kind of looked a little disinterested, but I don't think that will be a problem this week uh, with Penn State.
1: Absolutely. Now, of course, you know, whenever you have a rivalry like this, because at one point this is probably one of the biggest rivalries, not just regionally but also nationwide, there's always comments being made about the other opposing program. Now, Pat Narduzzi went ahead and shut down everything. Uh, players will not be allowed to make any type of statements or social media responses, pretty much shut the ship down. But in that particular instance, I do want to ask you uh, about that other team that that plays in Pennsylvania. When you heard about Joe Paterno possibly being honored, uh, what was your reaction to it?
0: You know, it, it was kind of surprising, and it was weird how Penn State went about it. They didn't they didn't make a big show of it. They kind of snuck it in in a press release that they were going to do it. Um, to me, it, it just comes off incredibly tone-deaf to the victims of, you know, what happened under the Jerry Sandusky scandal. Um, there's still so many unknowns, and, you know, stuff, stuff seems to come out every couple of weeks uh, more and more. So I think right now it's still too close to what happened in 2011. So – while I understand Joe, Joe Paterno was revered up in State College and throughout college football, I think right now you almost just need time and some distance away from, uh, you know, celebrating what he did. And so you kind of know more of the story. Absolutely. Again, I'm on the line with Jen Hammett. He covers
1: the uh, Pittsburgh Panthers for CardiacKill.com. Now, back to the field. Now, of course, you know, in this matchup against Villanova, like you said, it definitely – the effort on defense was definitely something that was lacking. Although Jordan Whitehead, the all-world, all-American line, uh, linebacker slash slay, he definitely did have a great game. He had six tackles, had an interception, had, had a ball in game. But what, that same effort is not going to be able to uh, beat Penn State. Uh, what, what changes do you see them making schematically uh, to be able to take on one of the best running backs in the, in the, in the country, in Saquon Barkley?
0: Yeah, so Colin Barkley is definitely one of the best running backs out there, and uh, I think Pitt is really going to be concerned with shutting him down. And it's, not, it's easier said than done. Uh, what you, what you want to do is make Penn State pass because in the past few years they've struggled offensive line play. Uh, you know, last year with Christian Hackenberg, he was sacked more than any other quarterback in the country. So you still have to hope that their offensive line is still kind of in a disarray and you have to put pressure on the passing game. Um, you know, that, that that's the key. But, you know, you're not going to shut down Saquon Barkley. You just have to slow him down and, you know, limit his big plays. And, you know, Jordan Whitehead's obviously a big part of that.
1: Absolutely. Like they said, you can't stop them All you can hope is to contain them. Now, of course, you know, Penn State, one of the things that I definitely saw in that game is they look different. And it's possibly because, you know, Chris Hackenberg really did – Hackenberg didn't really fit James Franklin's offense. Tracy McCorley, who, of course – Followed him from Vanderbilt. Definitely uh, is a little bit more versatile. He definitely uh, uh, also has an arm. He threw two touchdowns, 209 yards in the uh, last game. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, Penn, Penn State's going to have to face off against a talented group of backs from from, from Pittsburgh as well. And uh, I want to ask you, uh, tell me what we can expect from them. Of course, you know, Connor's definitely still trying to get his legs going. Uh, what we you did he look 100% healthy in his, in his game
0: against Villanova? I think he looked healthy. I think he kind of looked a little rusty. It looked like he hasn't played in the year, which he hasn't. You know, everyone talks about, uh, you know, the cancer in the offseason, but people forget he was injured in week one last year with a MCL injury against Youngstown State. So, you know, not only is he overcoming cancer in the offseason, he has to rehab from a knee injury. So I think any running back struggles with that. Um still think he has it. I think it's going you know, to be one of those things where it, it grows each and every week he's going to you know look a little bit more like himself uh with time but uh i i, I thought he looked rusty but it, as you mentioned pitt has other running backs uh in last year was the acc offensive player of the year he got some carries had a couple nice runs so you know pitt has the ability to mix and match running backs and um you know that's going to be key against penn state because their defensive line is very strong and uh obviously pitt's going to look to establish the run so they need to you know come through and make that happen
1: absolutely now of course you know focusing again on the pittsburgh offense. now of course during the summer when we previewed the pittsburgh panthers one of the things we talked about was uh their need to be able to replace tyler boyd now in uh their matchup against villanova how do you think the receivers did in the first in their first week
0: performance I thought they did okay. Um, it, it, you know, it was definitely uh, from the quarterback's perspective, Nate Peterman, he relied a lot on Tyler Boyd. So the, the whole passing game had to change a little bit. Uh, you know, a, a big part of it was actually the tight end. Scott Orndoff, he led the team with five catches and 68 sixty eight receiving yards. He's a big six-foot-six senior target. Uh, he's a good tight end, and uh, Pitt's definitely going to have to get him involved. But as for the receivers, I, I thought one guy that caught my eye was sophomore Quadri Henderson. He's kind of a five eight, 175 five pound receiver. Uh, you know, kind of a shifty guy. And actually, his biggest play came in special teams. He returned the the opening kickoff of the second half for a touchdown. Uh, he has that kind of playmaking ability. So I look for Pitt to uh, you know maybe get some reverses to him, some underneath routes because he's an explosive player on that offense.
1: Absolutely. Now of course, and he also had a thirty five yards receiving. And uh, this guy is definitely a dynamic guy. Who I believe, you know, they attempt to get some type of matchup where a linebacker is on him or a safety is on him, hey, just call a goal route and let him just go ahead and make magic happen. Now, of course, we do know we have, what, four days into that upcoming matchup. I want to thank you for coming on to the show, and I definitely uh, want to have you on throughout the season because we know that James Franklin may be able to recruit, but he definitely hasn't been able to secure big wins. So it looks as like Pat Narduzzi, at least at this particular point, definitely has the advantage in our upcoming Interstate matchup.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's it's a big game. It's one of those you know, it hasn't been played since two thousand like you mentioned at the beginning. So everyone here in Pennsylvania is very excited about the game and you know a lot of recruiting battles will be won, but a lot of bragging rights also will be won on Saturday.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for coming on the show. I definitely want to have you on the laptop.
0: Yep, thank you. Anytime.
1: Absolutely. Again, thank Jim Hammett. He uh, writes for CardiacHeal.com. Be sure and check him out. Now, of course, you know, one of the things that's so interesting about college football is job security is something that fluctuates. It's something that is always changing. And one of the things that's always so interesting about it is jobs appear to be so great, at least to the boosters and the fans who uh, align themselves with that particular college football program. Nevertheless, on the outside looking in, it's never as appealing as it appears. And, of course, if you cannot tell by the context of what job I'm talking about, I'm talking about LSU. Now, of course, you know, LSU would have liked to start the season with a win, but nevertheless, one of the things that I think is actually kind of good is by getting the loss out the way, it now forces West Miles to have to change some things. It's always interesting, this misconception that we have is that if, in fact, the coach came from the NFL, they considered that guy to be an upgrade. we all presumed that since Cam Cameron came from Baltimore that he was going to be able to do extremely well at LSU. We all presumed that since he was able to do wonders with Zach Mettenberger that, hey, he was going to be able to do with any quarterback. Nevertheless, we all sometimes forget that there is a reason why Cam Cameron was fired. There is a reason why once Cam Cameron was fired that the Baltimore Ravens just so happened to go to the Super Bowl, and there's a reason why the coach who was the offensive coordinator is now the head coach of the Detroit Lions. But we don't think about that. We get fooled and lured into things such as the NFL. He coached in the NFL. So that means he's a great coach. Like my man Lee Corso said, not so fast. So, I'm really happy, at least for LSU, that they got punched in the mouth now. Because now it's going to force them to have to change. Because if, in fact, LSU would have somehow cut in the way and won that game against Wisconsin, Les Miles could have boasted out his chest, won his 114th game, and said to himself, hey, you know what? Y'all may not like my way, but my way got me to win. But because they lost, it now forces him to swallow his pride and change some things up. Because if he doesn't, the truth of the matter is, he may not make it to the midpoint of the season. But then that makes you ask the particular question is this. If you fire Les Miles, who are you going to hire? You guys talked to Jimbo Fisher last season, and he gave you guys the highest and stiff arm and said thanks, but no proven track record is going to leave a program where he's built success and go into a situation and go into a program where they fired a coach who's averaged nearly 10 wins a season. Doesn't it sound like Mark Ritz? And of course you know Georgia definitely did hit a home run home run higher with Kirby. But do you guys remember how bad LSU was? Think back. Before last month. Before Nick Saban, before those two great coaches who will likely find themselves in the College Football Hall of Fame, there was this guy by the name of Jerry Donardo. Yeah, yeah. And although he had a cool name, he definitely did not collect wins. He definitely did not win SEC championships, and he sure as hell definitely did not win a national championship. To all these people that presume and think that, Tom Herman from Houston is going to jump ship? I don't know, man. Maybe you been down Bourbon Street and had one too many grenades. Because honestly, I just don't see Tom Herman leaving a program that is about to go to the Power Five, leaving a program that he has now built. It's not just a successful program but a program that just beat the king of the Big 12, and he's going to go to the f c c and have to face off against Nick Saban every year? I mean, I know that Tom Herman definitely did win and beat Nick Saban in the college football playoff series as the offensive coordinator with Ohio State. But nevertheless, just think. If you were Tom Herman, You've got a power five job that's going to happen. You're about to get $5 million a year and likely going to get much more to stay. You're in a fertile recruiting ground. You're in one of the largest TV markets in the entire country. And you're just proven yourself to not just be just as good as Oklahoma, but able to beat them, LSU, and go against Nick Saban, every year, to go against the vaunted, well, I don't know how vaunted anymore, the SEC, every year. Because I sure as hell wouldn't. i stay my butt in Houston, collect my $5 million, probably get a contract extension every year, go ahead and accept my invite to the Big 12, go ahead and contend in the Big 12, And you probably find yourself closer to winning a national championship coaching Houston than you would coaching LSU. Woo, just think about that. Think about that. Two years ago, Houston was a laughingstock. Houston right now is a more viable job than LSU. Now, LSU, of course, can pay you more money. LSU can definitely promise you the SEC network. LSU can definitely give you an opportunity to recruit and play with more talented players. But, hey, I mean, in the matchup that I saw against Oklahoma, knowing that if you continue to win, you can become not just the king of the Big 12, but the king of Texas and reap the benefits of that. And I say to myself, I'm good, bro. H-Town takeover. We'll go ahead and go in Louisiana and get some of them players too. But, of course, you know, we say now, Maybe Tom Herman suffers a few upsets, possibly, like he did last season against UConn. Maybe Tom Herman gets concerned about how his program will look when Greg Ward Jr. graduates and his eligibility. Maybe Tom Herman sees the next quarterback waiting in Texas A&M transfer, Kyle, what's the other Kyle? Not Kyle Murray, but the other Kyle, Kyle Allen. And says, I don't know. Because One thing that we definitely learned this week one season is that you may have talented defensive players, but if you don't have a quarterback, just like in the NFL, you just don't have nothing. And one thing we know about LSU is they may have the cornerbacks, they may have the premier receivers. Hell, they don't have the offensive line, and they sure as hell don't have the defensive line this year, but they don't have a quarterback. Brandon Harris, proven that he's unapproved. Edding, the transfer from Purdue, it's proven that he's unproven. I think Kyle Allen, Houston, he's building something there. And I don't see any reason why he should leave. But again, as I say in life, as I say in sports, we're definitely going to see what's happening. And, of course, we're definitely going to see what's up. Now, other big news today that I found somewhat interesting and also somewhat laughable when you consider the timing of it is Kirk LaFrance, the Iowa coach who's been there, it seems as if my entire life, he got a contract extension. He got a contract extension that extends all the way to 2025. If he finishes that contract, that means that he would have been at Iowa for 28 years. And in that 28 years, what does he have to show for it? Well, one Big Ten championship. But I guess in Iowa, you know, the expectations are, hey, can we get bowl eligible? The expectations isn't Heisman's. The expectation isn't national championship. The expectation is, can you get us to be seven and six? Can you get us bowl eligible? Because one thing that I found myself laughing about, is I said, oh, man, So you give Kirk a friend the contract extension after their so-called impressive win. Who did they play? Who did they play? play? Against Miami, Ohio. But guess what? The win really wasn't that impressive. Miami, Ohio passed 266 yards, had 158 yards rushing you gave him a contract extension after beating Miami of Ohio. I wonder why did you not give him an extension after that butt whooping you guys took at Stanford? Is it because it definitely would have become obvious that the expectations at Iowa are bowl eligibility and not national championships and roller bowls? Nevertheless, you know, we'll see how things turn out. We know Kirk with friends is definitely a good coach or He's an average good coach, a coach who is able to win you more than 50% of your games and get your bowl eligible, but that's what gets you a contract extension that pays you over $5 million a year until 2025, so kudos to him. I'm not saying I'm trying to hate, but boy, boy, oh boy, you can often wonder how long Uncle friends would have lasted at a place like LSU, but again, kudos. Kudos, kudos, kudos. Now, as I continue my love fest, my kudos fest, one of the things that I definitely found very interesting and the shellacking that took place against my alma mater in USC was I definitely was proud of the effort of Dory Jackson. Dory Jackson, of course, in that one game last, in the one matchup, he proved two things. He proved that he had heart because when all of his other players gave up and quit, when Juju Smith was only held to one reception for nine yards, Adoree Jackson came to play. This dude combined for 112 yards, all-purpose yards. In addition to that, he completely shut down Calvin Reilly. Calvin Reilly had no catches. No, he had one catch. No catches in that matchup against USC's Adoree Jackson. Adoree Jackson conjured up memories of Don Beebe's never-say-die, never-say-quit attitude as he ran down two potential touchdown scores and stopped them in their tracks. Now, of course, you know, a Dory Jackson can't win a game by himself, and we saw that this past week. But nevertheless, his effort is definitely something that did not go ignored, and I'm more than sure that NFL Scout definitely did see his magic working in that upcoming game. But, you know, his boy Juju just seems to just not be happy. And, honestly, I don't blame him. I mean, USC gave up in that game. It was terrible. Juju only had one reception the entire game. And he was so pissed off. My man was pissed off in practice today. As he reportedly got into a sister cuffs with his teammates and had to be pulled off, and he had to go, go to the side. But where was that fighting edge in the game? But, the, see, the difference is, is that Juju has to rely on a quarterback to get him the ball. And Juju, hey, if you're not open, do the Humphreys covering you, if you can't get the ball because Matt Darnold and, and Max Brown are running for their lives, there's only so much that you can do. And Juju's frustration was definitely felt on Saturday, and it definitely permeated itself into that practice Well, he was just pissed off. But nevertheless, you know, USC has an opportunity to redeem himself against Utah State, and I am not too sure how that's going to turn out, but Juju Smith and Adoree Jackson are definitely competitors. However, Adoree Jackson is in a position where he can actually affect the game. Juju Smith has to wait and hope and pray that the offensive line protects his quarterback long enough so he can throw the ball so Juju Smith can be able to capitalize without no quarterback, without an off, without an offensive line. Well, when you're facing Alabama, it don't matter how talented your wide receivers are because it's just not going to happen. And that's just the real. Nevertheless, you know, one of the things that's awesome about the college football season is it gives us an opportunity to get reintroduced to new stars. We got a chance to see Nick Chubb come back and do awesome things. We also got an opportunity to remind ourselves about how great Michigan's linebacker Mitch McGrary is, my man had nine tackles, two sacks, three-and-a-half tackles, a loss, and a forced fumble. Now, of course, you know, those stat lines don't garner a lot of press, but nevertheless, it was impressive. It's come back from his ACL injury as well. So it's awesome to be able to see those stars who went down by injury, be able to overcome those injuries, return to the field, be faster, stronger, and better and be just as effective playmakers as they were when they left the field. In addition to that, it's always awesome to see our first-timers, guys who, of course, were the all-world athletes in high school, the five-stars, the four-stars, the All-Americans, the parades, the ESPN, the under-armor, the the Army All-Americans. But when the bullets start flying, they see that the speed of the game at the college level is a lot faster. And the plays that they used to be able to make with ease is a little bit better. It's a little bit tougher. And in those games, we had an opportunity to see who's real and who's not. In that USC game, we got to see that the lights, the pressure, was just too big for former Elite 11 MVP Blake Barnett, who just was a little bit nervous, a little bit scared, a little bit wide-eyed, about the expectations that bestowed upon his shoulder when he was announced as a starter for that week one matchup against USC. But, hey, Jalen Hurts, former power lifter, former Elite 11 quarterback, he wasn't MVP. Nevertheless, as Texas quarterback, where well, they do everything bigger in Texas, will probably seen Krause just as big as he did in that game in Texas, my man performed. It did a remarkable job. Of course, after the getting the jitters out and fumbling the ball in his first possession as a quarterback for Alabama, he played remarkably. And not to be outdone, DeAndre Francois, I love the name, DeAndre Francois, although he was battered, although he was bruised beyond compare, and I can almost assure you that after the win, after the drive from Orlando to Tallahassee, he quickly found himself in some type of ice bath because this dude was getting hit, battered, bruised every snap. Nevertheless, people said just be like Jameis. Well, you know what? My man was actually a little bit better than Jameis. Passing for 419 yards, 32 for 52. Outshining the so-called Heisman front runner from Florida State. And, of course, Cook, who had 91 yards rushing and 100 yards receiving. Wow. Nevertheless, there's more. Although I definitely did give Iowa a bad name. Hey, they had a dynamic freshman do his damn thing as well. You know, although it was against Miami or Ohio. Nevertheless, he had his game. The guy I'm talking about has the best name ever. His name is Anthony, of course, Anthony Nelson. My man had two and a half sacks and one forced fumble. In his first game as a freshman, live in action, thrive during freshman. DeAndre Francois, Anthony Nelson, Jalen Hurts, definitely did. And my hat's definitely go off to Demarcus Walker, who was a one hit one hit acquitter. My man had four and a half sacks against Ole Miss. Kudos, Demarcus Walker. Guess what, man? Joey Bosa, in the entire season last year, had five sacks. And it took him to be the number three pick in the draft. Hey, DeMarcus Walker, Florida State, you're already halfway there. Maybe you'll find yourself shaking the hand of the commissioner as a number three pick if you have five sacks. You're halfway there. So, But you know what? This season, week one matchup was definitely one of the best ever. And you know what's great about it is we have a lot of other great upcoming matchups that we're going to be previewing from week to week Week two's matchups, we're going to be talking about Arkansas versus TCU. We're going to also be talking about, of course, Pittsburgh versus Penn State. We have a lot of great matchups, and we're going to be previewing each week with guests from all over the country covering those teams to share their insights, their expertise, and expectations for that team for that upcoming week. Expectations change from week to week. And during the summer, we, we provided previews. Now, we're providing reviews and glimpses the following week. We had a good show tonight. I got to get back on my security. So, without further ado, remember that life gives you an opportunity to take a time out from all the things that have a tendency of stressing us out. I want to thank you guys for taking a break with me and remember to stay tuned to sports. I know I will. Peace. Play the outro. Play the outro. Thanks for tuning in to Countdown to Kickoff. Our show airs live every Tuesday and Thursday at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If, in fact, you missed the show, make sure you subscribe to the podcast by typing in count and the number two and down one word. While you're at it, make sure you also follow the latest happens in the world of sport with us at Eat, Drink, Sleep, Sports, and the number two. And you know what? If you've gone that far, be sure and check out our website for the latest happens as well at eatdrinksleepsports.com. Until next time, college sports football fans, stay tuned. I know I will. Peace.